Hey folks, before today's show, enjoy this quick interview I did with Robert Venditti about Hawkman number one. It's fun, I promise. Here it is. So anyway, let's let's talk about Hawkman. Hawkman is a character that is obviously intrinsic to the DC universe, has been a major part of DC Comics for you know, 50 plus years now, yet is a character that people really tend to struggle with. Um, whether it's the continuity issues or the sort of lineage. So what is it about you that saw Hawkman as a great challenge as opposed to a, uh-oh, how am I going to handle this type character? <laughs> I think it was a lot of things. One, uh, the concept really speaks to me. Um, the idea of a, a reincarnating hero uh, is something that I find very interesting and allows you to play with a lot of different uh, times and, and went through that. You can play with different genres and sort of do uh, many different styles of comic and one style of comic. Um, and I also like the space cop aspect of the character as well. You know, Hawkman is, is one of those high concepts you don't come across too often that is extremely earthbound but also very cosmic as well and i like the balance of those kinds of characters and i enjoy writing those kinds of stories uh beyond that it's part of what you said he's, he's such a foundational character uh in in dc mythology uh going all the way back to the very very beginnings of superhero comics and uh, he feels like he's kind of lost his uh his central significance and and i wanted to take on the character and uh, Brian and I both talked about it as we were sitting down, you know, shooting ideas around of what we wanted to do. And, and one of the things at the top of our list was to really return him to uh, this central place of prominence that uh, he deserves to have in the DC universe. Yeah. And it's, you know, that place of prominence a lot of times features a, a part of uh, a membership of the justice league or some sort of, you know, um, team association, but you're taking him, what seems like, on a, on a solo journey, although, you know, we do have some familiar faces pop up in the first issue. How much of this is going to be Hawkman's journey by himself versus Hawkman's journey as part of the larger DC universe? I don't think those two things are, are necessarily mutually exclusive. You know, he can go on a journey uh, that's really a journey of self-discovery for him, and in doing so, reveal these ways that he's connected to the wider DC universe and, and uh, in ways that he never knew before and, and neither did we as readers. You know, I think that uh, if you look at the work I've done on something like How Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, and even though they're out in space, you bring in a lot of elements from elsewhere in the DCU and you make it feel like it's more of a cohesive whole. So I think you're kind of hitting on very much what the series is about, uh, which is his own personal journey, but how that personal journey reveals how central he is to the wider DC universe. Now, I'm not going to reveal the twist because I want our readers to pick up the issue and be as surprised as I was, but there's a really great moment where you solve a huge continuity issue with Hawkman, and you do it with relative ease on one page, with really like one line of dialogue. Hello, Benjamin. Yes, hello. Sorry, my son is singing now. Um, what do you got, Benjamin? Throw me a question. Yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, so how quickly did that reveal come to you? Oh, this is how we can fix all of this. How quickly did that pop up in your head? 
It was sort of my immediate thought uh, within the first, you know, day of me looking at the character and researching it and, and sort of just getting a very general background uh, on who Hawkman is. It was kind of my first thought, and I spent the rest of my time researching it, trying to find a way to sort of disprove it, you know, or waiting for it to come up on its own, and it never did, so I was very uh, pleased about that. And also, you know, something I don't want to overlook here is how much what we're doing springboards off of the opportunities that Metal presented with the character. You know, when, when Metal came in, and expanded the character's background beyond the ancient Egyptian mythology that we had known about up to that point. I really saw it as an opportunity to have this vast canvas um, with which to do new things with the character that, that didn't contradict uh, the things that already existed about the character. And so, um, you know, we're definitely building, and I guess that speaks as well to how you, how we're, making Hawkman central, you know, to go to your earlier question in a, in what's essentially a solo book. And, you know, part of the, part of the rest of the answer to that is, you know, we're picking up these threads and, and expanding on mythologies that were put in place in metal, which was obviously a very sweeping expansive story for all the DC universe. And we're going to continue to, uh, you know, take that same approach. Now uh, you're working with Brian Hitch on this book and Brian is a writer in his own right. And Brian is somebody who has a really sort of clean visual aesthetic. I think when you see a Brian Hitch page, it becomes abundantly clear what his goal is for that page. And I really admire that about his artwork. So how does working with Brian inform how you're writing this series? Uh, it's been amazing. You know, he's, you know, he's an artist, he's a writer, but he's just a, an extremely gifted storyteller. And he's such an asset to have on the book in uh, to bounce ideas off of and to come back with his own ideas and for me to say A and for, you know, him to come back with B and then for us to combine A and B and to C, you know, like it, it's really a great lot of fun. Uh, I'm writing plot first for him. Uh, so, you know, I'm giving about an eight page, you know, plot, six, eight page plot to work from for the, for the issue. And then after that, we exchange a lot of emails, you know, as he's drawing and new ideas come up and new things occur to us and we bounce back and forth and the pages are just so rich in detail, as you can see from reading it. He packs so much visual information into it. Um, in many ways, they almost don't even have to letter them. You know, the storytelling is so clean and it's so inviting and so easily discernible <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm really just trying to back up what he's doing. Uh, it, it's a it's a great um, collaboration that we have going. Uh, you know, of course, you read number one, but we're many more issues into the series in terms of uh, plots locked down and things like that. Um, but even beyond that, the visual approach he's bringing to Hawkman, uh, for example, there's a, there's an image in uh, issue one where Hawkman takes flight and his wings are sort of in a downstroke position, you know. I've read a lot of Hawkman comics up to this point, you know, I don't even, over 150, close to 200, maybe more. I can't recall off the top of my head. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere, but I can't recall ever seeing his wings in that downstroke position. You know, they're always spread or they're folded along his back or things like that. But, you know, Brian takes like the actual elements of bird flight and incorporates it into the character and, 
it becomes a part of the way he moves and the way he fights and the way he battles and where he gets his strength from and the agility and the power. And it just makes it all so real on the page. Uh, I could not be happier than uh, with how the story is turning out. One of the things you mentioned that I really am interested in, and I, I got the sense of it from reading just the first issue, is that this book can be many things within just its one title. It can be a tale across time, a tale across space. It's a very inward journey, but it's also very impactful to the world at large. Which element of the book do you feel right now is drawing you the most? Where do you want to go the furthest with it? What is that sort of beacon calling to you, storytelling-wise? For me, the thing about Carter Hall as a character that always struck me is here's a guy who is Hawkman, and he's made for the sky and wide open spaces and wings spread and soaring, but he's also an archaeologist. And those two things seem very antithetical to each other. Like, why would somebody who's made to soar pick a profession that by necessity requires that he be underground and in tunnels and all these kinds of things? And that just struck me as an interesting dichotomy for the character. And, and for me, I, I tried to sit down and say, why would he do that? And it, it's because he's so driven by this desire to explore and to discover that he'll put himself in these claustrophobic situations that go against his nature because that drive is there. And then I asked myself, well, why is that drive so acute for him? And I, I think that it's because he's ex- all this outward uh, exploration that he's done throughout his many, many lives has been all about inward discovery. There were pieces of himself that were missing that he didn't know, and we're all going to find out what those are in issue one. Uh, but there was just this nagging feeling that there were things that he needed to know and to discover, and uh, he realizes that it's all about what he's been doing over his many lives. has been all about discovering who he is within himself, and I think that's something that's relatable to everybody who reads this book. You know, Throughout our lives, we spend every day of our lives trying to figure out who we are from the day we're born to the day we die. And uh, that, that's very much Carter Hall's journey, too. And so that is, is what I think is really uh, the emotional core of the book and what's really, you know, pulling me along. And it's sort of the North Star that I always try to come back to when I'm plotting out the issues and writing the dialogue. Cool. I got one last question for you here. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love doing with comics that, that I really enjoy is giving people a reason to check it out that doesn't seem clear from just looking at the cover or paging through it. So if someone's interested in picking up Hawkman, what's a sort of unexpected hook to it that you think people by issue four or five will really be grabbing onto? This is the Indiana Jones of the DC Universe with a bit of National Treasure mixed in. You know, it's a, it's a wide-spanning, epic uh, adventure. Carter Hall is going to go to places that are unique to the DC Universe. Uh, we're going to see things we haven't seen before, and I honestly feel... And I read a lot of comics every month. I honestly feel there's nothing else on the stands that's like this book in terms of the visuals, in terms of the content, in terms of who this character is. It's a wholly unique experience. It's one that uh, Brian and I are having an immense amount of uh, enjoyment putting together. And I, I really do believe that that passion and that enthusiasm comes across in the finished product.
Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. I think this week we'll probably have a lot less Mr. Wacky Jokes, but at least one or two <laughs> Mr. Wacky Jokes will sneak in, so... I've already forgotten about Mr. Wacky. That was five years ago in my mind. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sorry for your loss, because it's a treasure you should hold in your heart forever. Um, but we have so much to talk about this week. This is legitimately a... a gigantic week of comics and there's also been a plethora of dc news and so we had to start with the big with the biggest news here that jeff johns has stepped down as dc entertainment president and chief creative officer and in doing so he is recommitting to writing and producing specifically he launched a new production company called mad ghost productions and he will be writing a shazam comic this fall that has been announced now although no artist has been announced on it he will also be writing and producing the Green Lantern Corps movie, which will star um, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. He is obviously already involved with projects like The Flash and uh, Aquaman, the film, and uh, Wonder Woman 2, and the Titans show on the DC Universe app. Um, and, you know, not real... Aside from the Shazam and the just the Green Lantern Corps stuff, there's not a ton of news there. But are you guys surprised at all that Johns is relinquishing his, um, you know, his VP level position here? Well, real quick, I, did you mention the imprint as well? Oh, I'm his sorry, yes. imprint? The Killing Zone, his new imprint that will, uh, according to the um, the press release, will focus on quote new and lesser known DC characters and titles. Mm. So sorry, I did forget that. Thank you, Zach. I do what I can. But is it surprising uh, to you guys? I don't uh, think so. Yeah, yes. It was surprising to me. Um, okay. Just because uh, it always seemed to me that if there were any problems with um, the DC movies or kind of the structure of the studios and TV and, and his role in, in the comic books. It, it always seemed to me, <coughs> it always seemed to me like nobody was ever going to blame Johns. Like it wasn't nothing. It's not any, any of it is none of his fault and none of his doing. He always kind of seemed like the golden boy to me. And I'm not saying he still isn't, you know, um, but it surprised me. I'm I'm not so surprised because uh I mean not that I necessarily saw it coming but it's not surprising to me that Johns would maybe miss the comics things a little bit maybe be feeling some frustration with the film side of things and um you know that side of DC sees a shake up every couple of months and so he's i mean i am not even sure exactly how many different positions he's gone through um in terms of like the production side of things you know i I looked this up um he was named chief creative officer in 2010 which uh seems way earlier than i remember that happening Uh um but but it was and then i want to say it was 20 15 or 16 when he was named DC Entertainment president. I think that's right. But even then, like, there were various, like, shiftings of power in oh, terms yeah, of, like, yeah. 
he got moved up into like he was one of the two guys who was sort of in charge of DC Entertainment. And then there was that guy who I think got I, I don't know. There was, you know, there was a lot of shuffling. Um, and, you know, we've been hearing for years about the limits on his comics writing because of that. Like Diane Nelson placed limits on how many comics he could write at a time. And um, so you're making you're making this sound like you think it was his decision. Well, well, no, I think it was it almost kind of seems like a mutual type thing, you know? Yeah, I think like, he's definitely going to be happier. I think so, too. It almost yes. kind of seems like where it's like, well, this isn't working and you're not happy. So why don't we just. You know, figure. And also, the, yeah. yeah. And like not to be like, I, I don't think that I'm not trying to say that there's a lot of, you know, infighting or, you know, like a pissing contest or something going on. There have been a lot of people who have come into D.C. who have kind of maybe not supplanted John's role, but have definitely given him a run for his money and um i can see him wanting to like have a bigger hand in the comic side again well so here's my question okay and vince i want you to talk more in a second i feel like zach and i have kind of dominated so far but i um i feel like i don't think john's is gonna have a bigger role i i i think that they're setting him up with his imprint so that he can do his own thing off in the corner, you know. So he can do a Stars and Stripe reboot, and not <laughs> and not bother anybody. But I don't I don't see this as the beginning of John's coming back into the centerfold in terms of you know like the the top two or three people at DC. I don't I don't see him taking that role in this position. I, right. I, think, I think he will do so. I think he will still be the guy. With the fingers in the most pies, right? He'll still be doing some film stuff, some TV stuff, some comic stuff, but I don't think he's going to be writing. I, I I don't see him taking Scott Snyder's job back. No, and I guess I, that's not really what I meant either. Um, I just meant like he's kind of been out of the comics limelight a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and and with other creators getting to come in and do these kind of imprints like like Bendis and Gerard Way and all of these guys. Um, this seems like a very, um, like this seems like an obvious fit for Johns to do, uh, especially an imprint focusing on obscure DC heroes. That's like the most Johns thing there is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a good Robinson book out of it. <laughs> that's interesting i wonder if, if he'll what does take... he also have a time machine oh, Zach? oh my goodness but, but I, I wonder if he will take some of those creators that he was always really buddy buddy with and bring them over there oh yeah i could totally see like a robinson book a sterling gates book um i was trying to think of other people that he works with a lot uh tomasi yeah. To, oh, yeah. Duh. Tomasi. What if? <laughs> I feel like we have to make this prediction like two or three times a year. The Sterling Gates flash book. Oh no no no! <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, what if? <laughs> what if Robinson brings Starman back? Okay. Yeah. Oh please, be still my heart. Um, he did say he wants to write those Jack Knight in Japan stories one day with Tony Harris. So we'll yeah, see. we'll see. I think you're gonna say that Sterling Gates will finally write his Flash Speed Force book. No, maybe he will. <laughs> it, was, it was promised in like '08. So Vince, what do you think about all this? <coughs> um, 
I think the name uh, Killing Zone for his imprint is hilarious. Yeah. Um, How many arms are going to be ripped off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, people being stabbed through the chest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I just keep think. I keep rolling those words over in my mind. Killing Zone. I feel like that's something that like, a shitty metalhead teenager writes on his bedroom door. Like, Mom, don't come in the Killing Zone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, but do you think that he'll have a a position of prominence at the DC Comics side, or is this uh, is this somewhat placating the old man? I mean, I think he can write. I think he'll write several books. I don't. I don't think he'll. I think I kind of said this last week, but I, I think they're. I think it's clear that that Scott Snyder and Joshua Williamson and James Tynion are more your uh, captains for the future of the DCU here and. And despite Doomsday Clock, you know, they're, they're going to try to run Doomsday Clock out and then I think transition over. That, that was That's kind of been my prediction all along. Um, run out and, the Doomsday Clock? Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't expect – I don't expect Johns to – I really don't think he'll want to wrestle control back of everything either. You know what I mean? I don't think he's going to show up and be like – well, we're we're gonna follow my direction for everything too, because even though I think he still has the creative itch, I kind of also feel like, um, I I kind of feel like that creative drive has kind of left him, and I kind of felt that way even while he was doing like Dark Side War and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people liked it, but to me, it felt like. It kind of felt like a half-hearted John's, yeah. In some ways, I wonder how much of that. And I don't disagree with you, but I wonder how much of that was just the um, the necessity of him being pulled in six different directions. Yeah, you know where he couldn't give his all. But that's what I kind of find most interesting about this announcement is that it doesn't seem like he's going to be any less busy. It just seems like he's doing. It just seems like the things he's doing are slightly more in his particular wheelhouse. Like he's he's essentially co-writing or writing three films, two TV series, and a Shazam book, and launching an imprint. That's yeah. still a lot of stuff to be doing. It's pretty on par for the the Bendis workload, though. Maybe he's just stepping up because I mean Bendis is. Going to have his imprint, Superman line. Um, he's working on. He's still involved with like some Marvel film, some weird X movie, right? Is it Kitty Pride that's, movie? Maybe that's it. Yeah, Kitty Pride. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then who knows? Is I don't know if he's still trying to make powers a thing. And I think that ship kind of sailed already. But the show, you mean? The show, yeah. yeah I, I'm and all pretty that sure stuff. that's dead. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe that a uh, a property on the PlayStation Network did not take off to stratosphere. To uh, <laughs> I can't even get it out. I know that got like a whole ten minutes at their E three press conference one year. Yeah. Um. So um. So yeah, what's the um Zach? Do you think that so? Let me back up here. They, they they announced the Shazam book is happening this fall. They did not mention a an artist with him. 
I think everybody presumed this was going to be his and Gary Frank's book after Doomsday Clock, but but if the book is starting this fall, there's no way that uh, that Gary Frank is going to be the one drawing it because he's still so far behind on Doomsday Clock. So uh, I want to ask two questions about Shazam. First of all, is there an artist that you guys would hope he would be paired with for this book? And then second question, how do you feel about the fact that it's pretty much an exact follow-up to his New 52 Shazam stuff where there are all those kids that are also going to be part of the book? You know, the, the, uh, the other foster kids. How does that, uh, how does that land with you guys? Vince, you go first. I, uh, I like that um, status quo for, for Captain Marvel, Shazam, whatever you want to say. Um, I thought that was a pretty fun premise. Um, I feel like the obvious answer is that I'd love to have like Frank quietly draw it or Ryan Sook would be good, but you know, then you're only going to get a couple issues. Um, Yeah, those those are my thoughts on it. My big one is always Doc Shaner. Yeah, but that's not gonna yeah. happen. No, that's mine too. Shaner would be great. Um, or I think even as we've seen from like Man of Steel, Steve Rude would be a nice. Ooh, yeah, he'd be good. Um, Quietly would be incredible. Yeah, but I that that won't happen. I don't who, think. Who did the um. Who did the Thunderworld multiversity uh, book? Cameron Stewart. Cameron Stewart, yeah. Yeah, it, what, that'd be great, too. Um, I almost wouldn't mind if that book had some kind of, like, rotating artist, like, cast of just, like, really great artists. Um, I don't know. But in regard to the, like, status quo, I'm, I, I mean, I've, I genuinely, like, pretty much enjoyed that, uh, like, the Shazam backup and, and, and that, um, origin and um, you know we've kind of been waiting what like five six years now for that, that to be a thing that was um, that either started or ended with the zero issue mm-hmm. which was the end which of would the have first been one year, year in yeah. yeah so so that would have been 2012 so yeah six years now um, that's a really long time um, so I mean yeah I've, I'm fine with that you know, I was thinking just the other day, this is kind of a tangent, but isn't it kind of crazy how it took six years or five years, I guess, right? Yeah, five years for the new 52 to reach like the 50th issues. And now here we are just about to hit that with Rebirth and <laughs> yeah, just how much snappier everything's been with the double shipping and the without the skip months and all that stuff. Yeah. Um Yeah. So I, I'm not opposed to the status quo. I just I hope that I, I'm I'm an old school Marvel family guy. So I just hope that Freddie Freeman and uh, Mary Batson don't get the short shrift because they're now just part of like a six a six person crew. You know what I'm saying? I think as long mm-hmm. as each of those characters and not just those two, but the rest of the characters too, if all those characters can develop into something interesting, I think that's super fun. I just hope that it's not that they don't develop any of them because it's too much work to develop all of them. Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, should, we, should we have a, a gentleman's wager on the the first Killing Zone book? Stars and Stripes is a good guess. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, Um, I don't, I don't feel like I know enough about what it even is. It's obscure and lesser known DC characters. I'm trying to think of, like, the most John's inclusion of, like, In Brightest Day. I guess Hawk and Dove going to be his first book? I don't know. I don't know. Why is is it not Shazam? Because I I believe that that is not... They have not indicated that that is part of this imprint. Oh, see, I thought it was. No, I think this is the mainline Shazam book, and then he's going to be starting an imprint in addition to that. Okay. At least that was the impression I got. That could be totally wrong. But if you go to the um, the website for his production company, Mad Ghost Productions, first of all, it looks like it was made in 2002. It's a really, <laughs> really shitty website. Um, mm-hmm. But it lists his projects there, replete with typos. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, it mentions those two things separately. It mentions Shazam and The Killing Zone as two separate things. Okay. All right. I think wherever I read the story, it conflated the two. Okay. Well, clearly you're not reading it at multiversitycomics.com then. And where even where? is the website? What? <laughs> what is that site? The Multi- Why would the Grant Morrison uh, DC series have news about Jeff John's books? Because Grant Morrison is the all-seeing god of the DC universe? Well, that's fair. Yeah. He does have a third eye. Is it blind? God, oh, I'll... you beat me to <laughs> it. Both of you just simmer down. Don't make me quote Simi Charm Life at you all night long. <laughs> uh, I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. <laughs> uh, I would understand. <laughs> So that's how it's going to be. Oh, there we go. All right, let's let's move on from this. Um, let's talk about Heroes in Crisis, the new Tom King Clayman seven issue miniseries. This has been rumored for a while under the title of Sanctuary, but that is simply the name of the facility in the story, not the name of the story itself. And basically, this is a uh, a facility within the DC universe where heroes go after traumatic events happen or just to get some mental health respite and it's an idea that i think is is pretty simple and and pretty clever but i think can be a very problematic book um i think there's kind of a lot to unpack here so what was your general initial reaction boys when you heard this uh i'm sure mine is the same as vince's um identity crisis too (laughs) yep I can't think of any other time that a seven-issue DC comic series with Crisis in the title that involved a murder mystery and was written by a guy with ties to the CIA has ever failed. So needless to say, I'm thrilled. Way to just read from your own Twitter events. <laughs> for, the, 
for the seven listeners we have, all who have already faved that tweet. Yes, of course. No, but that's that's literally my reaction to this. Um, it's just the same as what Zach just said. <laughs> but I'll, I don't I'll know. This. Oh, go ahead, Zach. Were you? Was, well, did you guys see the like the the bullet point list about the series that got released? I did. It just came out today, right? Yeah, yeah. About how the story is going to basically start with everyone in Sanctuary being killed. Yeah. Which uh, seems like antithetical to the to the premise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I, and and that was going to be my critique of a book that we haven't even seen anything from yet, aside from the first page with no dialogue. Um, without knowing anything about it or, or reading anything, um, it just seems to me like the premise and the intentions are really good. Like, how do uh, superheroes deal with the violence that they're exposed to on like a weekly basis in our comics, right? That's a very solid premise. If you want to kind of take some of the escapism out of your books and, and, and focus on something like that. Um, it's kind of the Watchmen thing, right? Like what are the psychosexual ramifications of being a costumed crime fighter? You know, what are the, what are the ramifications of being witness to all this, violence and Lovecraftian horror on a regular basis, you know, but I'm not sure. And this isn't just because I've been like down on his books lately, but I'm not sure that Tom King is really the writer for that either, because his books tend to be very violent in a way that comes off as glorification of violence or like, isn't this cool? And I feel like, like when we were talking about the booster gold, uh, arc of Batman, he tried to do this reversal at the very end where, uh, watching Bruce get shot and having blood spray on his goggles or whatever was this hugely traumatic experience for booster and it fell totally flat to me because um because of basically everything else Tom King does. I mean, think about how incredibly violent uh Mr. Miracle can be and previous arcs of Batman have been. And I don't really remember whether Omega Men was violent or not, but I imagine there was some It was that. very violent, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Right. So and I don't really, up until now, up until this lip service that he's giving to this series that he's writing, I don't really feel like that's being dealt with. Like, you would think that if a writer w- was really concerned about that and wanted to base a series around that, um, that would be like a through line throughout their work. And I haven't seen that. And also... Um, to kick this off with a murder mystery where everybody and, you know, everybody in Sanctuary might not really be all that many people considering it sounds like from the bullet points that heroes come and go from this and there may only be a few there at any given time, you know. Um, It just seems like isn't the point that they're there to deal with 
violence in the superhero community and not like all of a sudden this is a place where violence happens. I feel like in order to sell that idea, we need to see a lot more of Sanctuary first. But I feel like, again, I may be jumping the gun here, but if they're not going to establish Sanctuary for us, get us to to understand its inner workings and and what it's supposed to accomplish, and right away they're going to throw a murder mystery at us, I feel like that's antithetical to the purpose of this. Yeah, that that's what I was going to say, is, is I feel like if the whole idea is to introduce this needed place in the DC Universe, and I, and I think that there is a there is a version of this sanctuary that does feel needed and important in the DC Universe, but if if you're saying it's important, but people are also going to die in there, that seems to relegate it to just an object lesson as opposed to a a a place that can have a lasting impact on the DC universe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also it just seems kind of wasteful. Um I saw someone make the point that this is going to essentially just kill off a lot of, you know, Z-list DC characters for no reason. Yeah, like um, Psycho Pirate's gonna die. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which you know that that's maybe fine. Like there, like that's something. One of the interesting parts of this, and not I don't know, not necessarily interesting in a good way, is just how much of this has been seeded through Tom King's Batman run, like the Psycho Pirate thing, Booster Gold and Harley Quinn are two um, leading characters. Um, which both of them, their roles are spinning out of arcs in the book that we didn't care for. Um, which, you know, I, yeah, the idea, like, a, a basically, you know, rehabilitation center for heroes with post-traumatic stress led by Booster Gold and Harley Quinn, like, on paper, that sounds like a really interesting idea. Um but everything that we know about it makes me not not very interested in it. Yeah, I concur. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I, my solemn online vow is to read it with an open mind. Um, I'm just using the context of everything that we've read from Tom King at DC up until now to be really wary of this. Uh, premise as filtered through what seems to be his eye for cape comics you know um yeah i I don't know i would have liked it's it's one thing to introduce like a murder mystery a year or two down the line after you've after sanctuary's been in operation and we've seen how it works but to to just throw a wrench in it right away makes it seem like yet another bad idea with good intentions from the Trinity again. You know, it seems like every time uh, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman come up with some sort of concept together, it immediately goes wrong. (laughs) Wrong, You know what I mean? This would be like if the Hall of Justice, like, if something terrible happened in the Hall of Justice in Justice League number one. Like, we're just establishing this location. Yeah. And it's I, I wonder if we'll see it a little bit in Batman before. I hope uh, so. I, I think it's a good idea. I think it could be established first. 
I hope so. All right. Well, let's really briefly touch on a couple other bits of DC news. Uh, Ethan Van Skyver has announced that he is leaving DC Comics to do creator-owned stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, bye, asshole. Yeah. What's the name of his book? Cyber Frog? Cyber, Cyber, Cyber Griper. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Cyber Pepe. Yeah. As I said in our, in our group chat, uh, to me, this just sounds like uh, Pepe the Frog in Battletoads gear. So, <laughs> let's hope that's a thing. Um, Battletoads is back. It's good again. Is it back? It's, it is. It's, yeah. Brian, well, we don't know if it's good again. We don't know if it's good again. Well, it we literally never, know nothing about it. It was. It wasn't that good to begin with. Battletoads was never good. People mistake like a interesting uh, look and a very difficult game for something that was like good or nostalgic. And let me tell you, as somebody who's beaten Battletoads fairly recently, it's a bad game. <laughs> Here's the extent of my gaming conversation I'm going to have right now. You guys remember Kid Chameleon? <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, cool. Absolutely. 99 levels to that game. 99 levels. Uh, all right, and then uh, a couple little bits. Uh, there are a bunch of images released today in Entertainment Weekly for the Aquaman film. Any uh, Any hot takes there? It's no. inter- it's interesting that that people are saying people seem to be hyped for this. I think on the yes. whole, I I haven't seen a whole lot of negative, which is like I don't think it looks. There's nothing in there that makes it look bad, either. I just uh, I just think it's interesting what gluttons for punishment we've we've become. Yeah, that we're not like immediately skeptical of anything having to do with Justice League or this particular iteration of the movies. The good news is that it appears that Zack Snyder had almost nothing to do with this. So there's that. Well, release the Snyder cut of Aquaman then. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, kind of similarly, we got the first set photos from Wonder Woman 2. Uh, possibly titled Wonder Woman 1984 or Wonder Woman 84. And it appears that Steve Trevor is back somehow. But not like old man Steve Trevor either. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering how they were going to do that because um, one thing that I found surprising about my Wonder Woman reading is how, you know, in comics, usually when a character like that is kept around for decades and decades, they somehow de-age him. Right. But even by the end of, like, the pre-Flashpoint Wonder Woman run, Steve Trevor was pretty old. Like, they always drew him with, like, gray streaks in his hair and wrinkles. Like, I, I didn't realize, if, if you just casually follow, like, Wonder Woman's history in general, you would think that Steve spent most of his time as, her, as a love interest for Diana. And that's really not the case at all. Um, it's really weird. In fact, I think like, I think he was in a relationship with Etta Candy for far longer than he was with Diana. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That is interesting because that, um, you know, assuming they, you know, they find some way to bring him into this movie, it's still set in the 80s. So if they ever did try to catch them up to the present time, there would still have to be some kind of MacGuffin for that, too. Right. Yeah. Unless he's like Nick Fury now and he doesn't age. (laughs) Well, part of his um, part of his contract for being the fifth most popular Chris in Hollywood is that he has to do DC movies until the end of time. So (laughs) what I was going to say was I feel like people were already confused between Chris Pine, Chris Evans and all the other Chris's. So they're just going to do the exact same thing as Captain America. That he, uh, he said yeah. that was frozen, and it'll be unfrozen, and here we are. They're just no, they're just gonna do the the beer fest thing where. Oh God, I hope so. He's he's gonna show up and he's gonna say, "Just call me Steve Trevor." Yeah. I'm Steve Trevor's son, but just call me Steve Trevor, um, not Junior or the second or anything. Just just treat me like like I was him, and you've known me all along. Yeah. And since he told me so much about you in books he wrote. <laughs> Uh, I already know all this information. Yep. So what was the what was the character in Beerfest name? Landfill. Landfill. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, just putting this out there, I wonder if Steve Trevor was the father of the Korean War veteran that talked to Trump on the uh, on the campaign trail about having his son's uh, remains released. <laughs> That's going to be an amazing uh, viral tie-in. Like everybody's going to think that that was just another. Um, like brain adult thing that Trump just rattled off without giving a shit about. Mm-hmm. But you're you're gonna find out that it's, it's like, viral marketing for Wonder Woman eighty four. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't kidding when I said that. I knew exactly what I was talking about. It's Steve Trevor, everybody. Yeah. Isn't he fantastic? Also, he's joined Ice now. <laughs> uh. Wasn't Ice the name of an Arrested Development character? It was Ice the Bounty Hunter. Yeah. There we go. Uh, I'm about halfway through the season four rewatch, and the edit is much better. Mm, okay, maybe it gets better then. I st- I think I'm only like still five or six episodes in. I think I'm I don't think I've watched any more. So it's good. Anyway, um, should we take a break? Should we get right into the comics? Let's let's take a break. All right. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And we are back with an incredibly stacked week of comics. So we're just going to do this alphabetically. So that begins with Batman Prelude to the Wedding, Part 3, Batgirl vs. Riddler, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Q Young. Um... This is a consistently delightful miniseries, or series of one-shots, or whatever we're going to call it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Zach, you seem less enthused. (laughs) 
Well, I just thought, like, the Riddler stuff just took a really dark turn. <laughs> um, like, even darker than I really expected. Um, it's not the late night, man. He's, he's not, that's true, you're right. But, I mean, this is Barbara... Uh, oh, I, was, oh, I don't like what I was about to say, but, you know, <laughs> I was going to say... There's no comes. good way to say Here this. I was going to say go this. This is good Barbara Dick Bait. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, said background I mean, I guess friend. I could have said Dick Barbara Bait, but. <laughs> no, that's not better. It's not better. Zach, you should carry your recorder around and record yourself saying <laughs> phrases throughout the day. There's uh, oh. um, just no way around that name. <laughs> Again, you could have said background that way. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean it, it does get really dark, and I am not a fan of the Rebirth Riddler with his constantly Seth MacFarlane shirt open too too low uh, look going on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, never yeah. Seth on anything. He has like two buttons too many open on his on his Oxford shirt. Yeah, that man has some confidence. Let me tell you. <laughs> yes, he does. He also has one voice. He does. Uh, that's a whole yeah. other story. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but, but overall, I uh, I like watching Babs be a detective. I liked the um, the sort of the re- at first I was like. Oh look, she's using a Walkman. How cute is that? But there's actually an uh, in-story reason why she was using the Walkman. Like all that stuff was was really well considered, and it was just fun. I can't believe how much fun I'm having with this utterly joyless event. <laughs> now, why do you keep saying that? Because the, the Batman wedding is utterly joyless. <clears throat> I see the, the 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 Bruce Selena stuff is the only stuff that works for me, and it works. See, I still don't. It's still not working right. for me. That's fine. You know what works for me? What's that? Minkyu Young's art. Yes, I love what he does. I love the like. Well, I mean, you know me. Like, I like the Joel Jones and the Mike Norton, and I feel like this is in that wheelhouse as far as just the um, look of the characters and the structure. Uh, it's just solid, solid like street level cape comic art, and to to me it makes a story that I, on its face, I wouldn't really care about that uh, about the prelude to the wedding. It makes it so much easier and breezier to read when the art is this dynamic and good. Absolutely, there's a lot of good art this week. Um, which we'll get to in a bit. Any final thoughts on this book? It actually had some interesting riddles. Yeah. Here's the point in the show where, where we reference the joke from Batman 66 where <laughs> it, it, it exploded over the sea, sea for Catwoman. <laughs> and we don't even finish the riddle, so like no. you don't even... Anybody who's never seen that or doesn't know what it is has no idea what we're talking about, really. Bon voyage, pussy. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a line from the film. It's what you said when you got married. Hi. I'm the problematic one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Too bad we don't take stingers from the actual meat of the show. Because that would have been a stinger. You could edit out this part of the show and then pretend. (laughs) Just just to use that one line, yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's jump over to. Detective Comics number 982, written by Michael Morisi, illustrated by Sebastian Fiumara. And uh, we get a Deacon Blackfire comic, which I feel like happens once every 19 or 20 months. <laughs> we remind that this character still exists, even though he's always completely thwarted at the end and gone forever. And then he shows <laughs> up again. Um... Am I wrong, Vince? Oh, you're right. Have we have we seen him since Batman Eternal? Has he been around? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, maybe. I almost and and like is this issue referencing that too with the with the Spectre comment? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there might, might have been a footnote for that actually. Um. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure about that, but I believe so. Um, I am a huge fan of, of the Fiumaras from their uh, Mignolaverse stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that Sebastian does just such an incredible job with this issue. I don't know how you guys feel about his art, but, you know, while there were some problems for me uh, script-wise, like, you know, Batman saying, you will believe in me is just one step too close to swear to me. From yeah. well, Batman Begins. I think that's totally what he was going for, too. You know? Yes, yes. Um, but I think from an artistic standpoint, this is an absolutely gorgeous comic. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen uh, Gotham on fire? And I feel like it's never looked as good as it looks in this issue. There's like a page. Oh page 11 in our PDF where it's Batman's on the edge of a building and he's and Gotham's like on fire in front of him. And it's just incredible comic booking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, I think it's a solid story and a lot of the problems with the story stem from the fact that it's telling an entire Deacon Blackfire story in 20 pages. In, in 20 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like in its entirety from beginning to end. And it makes it seem, it makes it seem both like it's really inconsequential in the, in the grand scheme of things, but also like Gotham has been to hell and back all in 20 pages, which I think is like, it's a double edged sword because I complain about decompressed comics all the time. And now when somebody hands me a comic where it's, it's beginning and ending in 20 pages, now I'm complaining about it. That that doesn't seem very fair. So I think on the whole, like the comic was a positive experience for me. I just couldn't help but like chuckle to myself, like, "Wow, this a lot happened in 20 pages, and <laughs> we're gonna forget about it next month or whatever," you know? Yeah, it's not like a one shot that's gonna be like topping off the multiversity year endless or anything. Right. No, but I will say this. Can you guys recall another 
fill in one shot like this with that looks this good? No, but I have a really bad memory. <laughs> well, Aquaman annual that I loved. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Which wasn't, was also... Wasn't that also a Fiumara joke? Yeah. It, was, it was one of the Fiumaras, yes. Yeah. Uh, but what's weird is I feel like... Actually, oh, we might have just solved something here. I feel like this issue was announced not that long ago. Like it was... Because uh, remember, this was supposed to be the start of the Outsiders arc. Yes. But it was delayed. I wonder if this was either a uh, a piece of the Batman annual that's coming, you know, whatever the next Batman annual is, or if it was the entirety of that and they had to cut like five or six pages to get it down to non-annual length and that's part of why it felt so slight. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It could also just be like Maurice was part of the uh, one of the writers' workshop classes. They might just have like you know five or six books from each of those people just sitting in a drawer someplace for this exact purpose. But Fiumara <laughs> seems like a, a big enough name where that wouldn't where he wouldn't be the guy to illustrate a book that may never come out. Yeah. Anything else to add, Zach? No, it was it was fine. Yeah. Dare I say it was good? You dare. Uh, let's talk about Eternity Girl. Speaking of good, <sighs> written by Mags Visaggio, illustrated by Sonny Liu. This might be my favorite single issue of the year so far, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is um. This is definitely one of the best comics of the year. No <laughs> doubt. Sonny Liu needs a statue built in his honor for this issue. <laughs> Yeah. Like all the different styles that he that he does in this issue. It's just it's insane. It, it is it, insane. It is insane. And Tank Girl, you guys. With with, <laughs> with the Hellboy uh like right hand of doom. Yeah, yep. Yep. Yeah. Peanuts. Peanuts. Peanuts, yes. Peanuts, yep. So for those that haven't read this issue, this is essentially, like, every four or five pages, Sonny Liu completely changes his art style and does an homage to another comic. Um, Do you think we can pick out all the different homages here? We're going to try in a minute, for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> have either of you guys read um, his Charlie Chan Hak Chai book? No, I want to very badly, but... This is the closest thing that he's done to that outside of that book. Where there's just... That book, it has so many styles that happen. Page to page, you get just vastly different types of comics. And that's what this felt like. This felt like that in a superhero model. uh, Totally... I mean, it's just... It's it's so impressive. God, Mm -hmm. it's so impressive. Alright, so are, are we counting... The sort of framing device of the DJ as a style or no? Well, that's that to me just seems like Sonny Lou's. Yeah, that's Agreed. like standard, the standard book style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, the first thing we see is is uh, are bombs dropping and people falling from the sky. 
and then we're in a science lab. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think this is supposed to be referencing? Besides Spaceballs. <laughs> She's Dot Matrix, that's right. Where are the Spaceballs? <laughs> Keep firing assholes. <laughs> uh, we ain't found I, shit. <laughs> I don't know what specifically this is supposed to be referencing, if anything specific, but it reminded me a lot of like uh, maybe 60s sort of challengers of the unknown style like you the, know sort like sort of like silver age sci-fi of the big two right yeah. yeah 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 i've never read like the 60s doom patrol stuff but it wouldn't surprise me if <laughs> now right, i'm just, right with now just I'm like just a robot guessing. person yeah i was getting i mean obviously i think you see that Robot, and it reminds you of Robot Man, and mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, it's sort of this like, um, yeah, 60s idea of what sci fi is kind of this sort of minimalist, very clean looking, sterile. Yeah, that that's what I thought. Yeah, I agree. So the next one is totally the pre-image indie comics of the 90s, Tank Girl and Hellboy. Yeah, Tank Girl, Hellboy. Um, Is there anything else in there? The Tank Girl stuff really (laughs) made me flip because I'm like a a mark for Tank Girl. Um, You don't like gorillas. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I just don't like the music. I don't like I don't like how it sounds, my friend. Yeah. I forgot how much you love Oasis, the Oasis versus Blair Battles. <laughs> uh, right, so, fuck so, off. <laughs> so, after that Tank Girl Hellboy homage, we get um like the this is the the first part of the issue that really looks like a superhero comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this feels almost kind of like like '60s Marvel, sort of to me. Yeah, this is kind. Of, actually, yeah, this is more like Fantastic Four Challengers. Yeah, well, I, I was gonna say I feel like the first the first thing was the sci-fi of the era. This feels like the superhero comics of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like just a little bit of I feel like that that giant screen that we're looking at. Like there's. They're in that headquarters with the giant screen. I feel like that's very much like a uh, Bronze Age Justice League thing, too. Mm. Uh, okay, so sure. so we move on from there, and then we're in uh, Tron, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this to me felt like like early two thousands Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. The the original Warren Ellis Wildstorm stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um then we go to the uh the peanuts. Yeah, that's fairly obvious. <laughs> yeah. Which was hilarious. Just oh man. Yeah. Good shit. Yes. Um this is the one I don't know if there's a if there's an absolute like corollary for 
The next one? The next one, yeah. This to me felt like it was... This to me just felt like it was not... not it feels like back not, to normal. <laughs> nah, not, the suit is not yeah, black. Exactly. No, it, no, it feels like it's... You know, because there is that ongoing story where it's Caroline and... Um, I can't remember her very punny villain name. Something uh, Adam. Isn't it like Madam Adam? Or Madam Adam, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know if that's right. There, There is a, like, timeline that's going on where Madam Adam is, you know, she's going along with Madam Adam and trying to destroy the, the world, essentially, to get out of this loop that she's in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're just back to that, which is not necessarily a, a iteration of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Iteration. 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 Yeah. That was such a nice touch. It was. It was. Um, yeah. Also, I know we've talked about like the Morrisonian aspects of this series, but tying everything back to music um, is very much still in that wheelhouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also, just because it's hard not to get this vibe, I kind of got a phonogram vibe from it. Yep. Oh, sure. Uh, but yeah. Excellent stuff. A fantastic comic. I, I want to like give this comic to anybody who doesn't like comics as much as me. <laughs> and they'll go, they'll go, what the fuck is going on? Yep. And I'll say, and... you fucking asshole. <laughs> Appreciate this for what it is. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, I think what... What uh, Magdalene Visaggio and Sonny Liu are doing here is incredible, and I hope DC keeps them both around for as long as they can to do whatever they want. Agreed. Agreed. Um, do you want to jump to The Flash, going that alphabetical order, or save the thes for later? Um, you're the captain of this ride. You just... Let's talk about The Flash. Let's talk about The Flash. The Flash, number uh, 48, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Howard Porter. And, uh, I mean, for, for for people that came of age reading comics when we came of age reading comics, this is a pretty special issue as well. I don't know if the execution is quite as good, as, or, or quite what I hoped it would be, rather, but... This picks up on so many, you know, previously forgotten pieces of Flash mythology. And, you know, the two big ones being Wally's kids. Mm-hmm. Zach, what do you think of this issue? I thought it was great. Um, you know, Barry's been kind of a dick lately. Now Wally gets to be a bit of a dick, understandably. Yes. He has good reason here. Much better reasons than Wally. And I also kind of like that there's... Yeah, sorry. Uh, I kind of like that they're setting this up almost to be Wally's flashpoint, but with much better justification. (laughs) Yes. Um, And and just, you know, all of the double-crossing... all of the characters in this are just very good, I feel like. Um, I really enjoy the Commander Cold. Um, Zoom was good in this. Um, 
all of these arc specific characters are very good. And then just the imagery too, where like that that page um, where Cold and Iris and Wallace um, walk out, and time is disintegrating, and it all goes white. Like that's just it, you know, it, it evokes like um, the antimatter wave and crisis and all of that. Oh, it's just really good. Yeah, How- Howard Porter's doing some miracle shit on this book too. Yeah. And he has like the perfect level of bombast for this story. Yeah. I feel like this book feels insanely eventful and important and relatively it's flying under the radar. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think plenty of people are reading it and it's getting acclaim, but I feel like I don't read very much being talked about it as far as how truly important it feels like you're you're talking about evoking things like crisis like a crisis and flashpoint you know and it's doing it on a on a on a bi-weekly basis basically um it's cr- kind of crazy to me it's it's almost like it's take the flash has kind of taken the post john's lantern role of being like the the secondary book behind anything batman and superman are doing and f- being really important That's to the DCU. Yeah. Although, although it's certainly not as popular as Green Lantern was. R- right, yeah, right. I feel like that could never happen again <laughs> right, somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, this comes as no surprise of how much I love Wally as a character. So it's so nice to see them doing stuff with Wally that isn't just like one of the knocks I think a lot of people have on Wally is that in some of the lesser Wally stories you can't differentiate who is under the the mask you know it's just it's just a flash Williamson has done such a nice job of giving both Barry and Wally and Wallace their own unique voices that even if the mask covered their complete face you would know who's talking at any point because because of how well he has established the voices for these characters and I feel like, like you said, Vince, this seems like a more justifiable flashpoint. And I really, unlike so many comics where you think you have an understanding of how it's going to end, I really have no idea what they're going to do with this. Yeah. Because if you bring back the West family, that's a huge... That, 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 that's a huge moment... That, like you said, will kind of fly under the radar because it's happening in the Flash. But you also can't not bring them back, right? Like you, you, you can't, you can't just decide, uh, you know, you can't just decide all of a sudden that oh yeah, we're just gonna kill off these these pre Flashpoint characters, especially because they're children. <laughs> that just won't fly. Uh, so what do you think is gonna happen, Zach? Um, I think all these characters are going to come back and it's going to be great. Do you really think that or are you just hoping that? I really think it. I think it's going to happen. It might not happen like in the end of this arc. Like at the end of this arc, the kids are back and Linda and Wally are together and everything. Maybe not that, but I think that it's definitely going to set up the dominoes for that to happen very soon. So here's here's my question to you about that. 
is this going to be a case of just the Flash books getting these characters back? Or is this going to be a case of the entire DC Universe having certain characters return? I could see this being like a Superman Reborn thing. Where is this going to be the Flash for now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, that's interesting because I... You know, we're talking we're talking about Shazam before, and how that is pretty much going back to the New Fifty Two and and making no bones about it that 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 the reboot is counting for the Shazam family, right? But this seems like the exact opposite of that, where yeah, this is this is undoing all the reboots that have ever happened. Yeah, that's true. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I, you know, one of the things we talked about years ago now with Rebirth was that we really hoped that Rebirth was going to keep what worked from the New Fifty Two and get rid of what didn't. And I think that's more or less what Rebirth has done. And this and Shazam taken together is the example of that. The Shazam reboot worked. Let's keep that. The Flash reboot really didn't. Let's fix that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But you know, also though, with the 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 way that they talk about like people being trapped in the Speed Force and everything, this really does feel like it needs to be should be like a DCU encompassing event that could potentially unlock everyone. Maybe that's what they're setting up for. But we have so many events going on right now, or announced to be coming. Um, I'm really surprised we don't have a, a Williamson Penn Flash event in line. I mean, maybe there is one down the road, or maybe, maybe, and this might make some sense. Maybe aside from huge events right now, all the events are going to take place within the books. Maybe, because what was the last? I mean, you know, obviously metal was gigantic, and uh, you know, no justice was relatively self-contained considering mm-hmm. you know and it seems like all the justice league stuff is spinning out in those in those books that are directly spinning out they're not they're not these big event books they are just happening in those titles so maybe this is how dc is doing events now maybe i don't know it's interesting it, it's also i don't know yeah and it's not really I guess they could do a crossover maybe with some other books. It'd be really cool to see like eventually down the road like a Justice League Flash crossover series that maybe flesh some of this stuff out. Yeah, I, I guess my question is, are there other characters outside of the Flash that feel as that feel as important to bring back? Um You know, I guess that is a thing. Most of the other characters that are tied up right now are um, like all the um, Doomsday Clock characters. You know, the JSA, Legion. Right. All that stuff. Bring back the (laughs) H-Dial. That's going to be in Kill Zone. (laughs) Killing Zone. Kill Zone. Kill Zone. (laughs) Oops. Jeff Johns' new video game franchise. Jeff Johns' Cal Zone. Oh, <laughs> hey, Paisan! I I will write the Calzone the Calzone book for Killing Zone, <laughs> written by 
Brian Vincente Salvatore. <laughs> it, it'll just be different characters. It'll just take place in a pizza parlor in Gotham. <laughs> and it'll just be every week. It's um, uh, like various GCPD members coming in there for Italian food. And then a supervillain crashes to the wall and a different superhero shows up. And it always ends with him ordering a calzone. Is it uh, illustrated by Brett Booth? Of course, it has to be. That's what I thought. <laughs> the calzone has the stringiest cheese you'll ever see. Yeah. It's actually a pizza fish calzone. <laughs> so. Hey, oops a <laughs> All right, let's talk about Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Number 46, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by... Uh, who did this? Hang on. I believe it was uh, Clayton Henry. It was Clayton Henry, yeah. Hot off of Bla- the Black Lightning miniseries. Yes, and hot off of various Valiant books over the last few years. Um, guys, this is not the worst issue of Hal Jordan. <laughs> it, it's really not. I actually kind of like some of this. perfectly crumpulent. Yeah, it is. <laughs> crumpulent. <laughs> There's a callback. <laughs> Eagle Ear DC3 cast listeners from two seasons ago <laughs> will uh, remember our, our brief fascination with uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Vandal Savage, Casper Crump, who's a guest in the show, and the, the, the phrase crumpulent meaning something that is quite good, that is, that is good and, uh, and fine came out of that. So. Good, good and fine. Right? I mean, what else, how else would I put it? I don't know. Casper Crump, you're a beautiful man. You are. I still follow you on Instagram, Casper. So. His Instagram is so magical. It really is. Casper um, Crump, he, you know, Casper Crump could play uh, Calabac in this particular iteration of... Uh, iteration. Of the DCU, I feel. Yeah. You know, the, the new gods, he's been kind of important, so I think they should bring him back. Yeah, I'm all for that. But about this comic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got some really good Hector Hammond stuff here. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like Hector Hammond stuff in this issue. Um, the stuff with Guy's father is about what you'd expect from that in a comic like this. Yeah. It's certainly not groundbreaking, but it was fine. Um, but I said, Hector Hammond stuff was really, really good. I also... Um, the stuff with Zod... I feel like this is the best Zod has been in this book. Uh, yep. Which isn't saying all that much, obviously. And we get a little bit of Orion, New God stuff with Kyle Rayner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, has High Father ever looked like this? Yeah, this is pretty much how he's always looked in the New 52. Uh, I, I guess I just tried to block that out. I'm, I miss the old High Father. The... Something this different. was actually the uh, Brian. Uh, oh, wow, I'm blanking. Cliff Chang um, redesign in Wonder Woman with this color hair. I feel like I, I guess I just don't remember that. I, I feel like he's always been gray. I guess not. Oh well. Now, man, you might be onto something there. I don't know about that. He has he has great temples. Yeah, he he's he's pre uh, pre zero hour Hal Jordan, hair wise. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, 
Any any particular comments on this issue? Um, I think you you've said it all. Mm-hmm. I think so too. This is this is fine. Okay. Well, let's talk about Hawkman number one, written again by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Brian Hitch. Um. So I, I have I have a lot of thoughts on this issue. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. Well, Brian, you set this up for us by intimating to us that it was a little bit of a snooze. That is not what I said. What did you What did you say? No, no I, that was perhaps my opinion when before I read the issue. That oh. was you attempting to read the issue several times and. Just not being able yes, to get started. Just I couldn't get started. Once I got started, I really liked it. But it was yeah. just that that initial image of Hawkman with, with the Brian Hitch Hawkman. I was like, oh no, I'm good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I actually think Hitch did a really nice job with the rest of the issue. But that first image, I was like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you all, yeah. Anyway, regardless of what the reason was. You set me up to think like, oh, this is going to be really boring. And then I read this and I thought, oh, I, I really like this. And I like the way <sighs> it told a very familiar story, but I feel like it told it in a in a cadence that I didn't expect from Venditti. Like I felt like this was a fairly jaunty comic for one that could have easily been wordy and boring yes i feel it was really nicely paced um the hitch art was pretty good you also texted us i think and said there's one page that's so it's the hitchiest thing hitch has ever hitched uh-huh. and i couldn't i was trying to figure out which one it was and I ended up thinking that it was the one with the like the montage of all the various Hawkmen. It is, yes. Yeah, and the and the reason being is because like when he was doing the uh <laughs> what was it? He was doing covers for some book and it seemed to be just like random placement of bodies <laughs> with no with no regard for one another and I think it was Wonder Woman, actually, because I'm pretty sure Giganta was involved. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, it, yeah, and I, I saw this, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, yep, that's Hitch. Um, but, let me say. But, yes. The twist Go. that Venditti wrote into this, the way to solve all of Hawkman's continuity, is mm-hmm. so simple and wonderful. Yeah, Carter Hall nuts. <laughs> and, he re- and he recalls all of his past lives. Well, not just that, but that he was, you know, I mean, that is obviously the most important part. But that, but that he is reincarnated not just across time, but also across space. Mm-hmm. And so that allows the, you know, I, I never know how to pronounce Qatar Hall, you know, like the uh, the, the Thanagarian version. Yeah. Um, but also, I really like the the fact that there was, there was a Kryptonian one. Mm-hmm. That's super mm-hmm. fun. Like this page, this double page spread is just such a wonderful uh, celebration of what Hawkman can be, and this also like one of the listeners of the show will hear my interview with Arbor Venditti before this segment. Um, and uh, Venditti had said sort of after we stopped the the recording that he feel that he has a story for every Hawkman in this in this page. 
Oh, hell yeah. That he, doesn't, that he doesn't know if he'll get to tell all those, but that he has a story for all these different Hawkmen. Uh-huh. And that's super fun and exciting to me. See, th- this is what I want to see Venditti write. I, I, I don't dislike Venditti. I just think his Green Lantern run was such a false start from the beginning. It just never worked for me. But I feel like he is a talented writer, you know? Yeah. Um, I just think that that never worked. Um, I hope he gets to tell at least some of them, you know? I've often said that Hawkman is the Exo Man of War of the DCU. So <laughs> I've never heard you say that. <laughs> well, clean out those ears, bucko. Clean your room, bucko. I've never heard you say it, but I have seen your chest tattoo that is just a Hawkman and then an equal sign and then an Exo Man of War. Oh, I've I've had it oh. updated now so that it's um it's like lenticular. So if you see okay. me from one angle, it's Exo Man of War, and then from another angle, it. It shifts so, and it's hot. You have to shine a black light on it to see it. <laughs> there is a hawk symbol shaped stain on Brian's dirty computer. <laughs> oh man! Um, Other tangent. When, there. Brian, when you said Qatar Hall earlier, oh, my initial um, thought was like how Homer Simpson would respond to that, like. Oh, what is this Carter Hall you have? (laughs) (laughs) What's your first name? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Not related, but I like the way Snorub thinks. Um, (laughs) Sierra? Yeah, Sierra. Sierra. Fucking Smallville. Fucking Smallville. Uh, no, <laughs> this is a really good first issue of Hawkman. Yeah. When was the last time we said that? <laughs> when Jeff Johns wrote it in 2002. Yep. Um, but no, there aren't, there aren't didn't like the Savage Hawkman? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Savage Hawkman. Oh, man. Are we talking pre-Liefeld or post-Liefeld on it? Pre-Liefeld. Even pre-Liefeld, I think that that was... That was my second least favorite New 52 comic. Who apart- wrote that? Was, I, that was Tony, uh, Tony Daniel, wasn't it? Tony S. Daniel. Yeah, the Bad Philip Tan illustrated it. And the Bad <sighs> Philip Tan illustrated it. And, yeah, that was second worst New 52 thing to me next to Captain Adam. Ooh, we, should, we should go back and, and no, we power should. ranking no. some night, some night <laughs> of all the... Of all New 52 number ones. Oh, brother. Could you imagine if we reread those? Could you imagine how outdated some of those probably feel? Oh, man. I, I smell a spinoff, boys. Oh, no. <laughs> that would probably that would probably be the thing that drives me over the edge, you guys. Wait, you tell me you don't want to read Blackhawks again? <laughs> As much as you want to read uh, Mr. Terrific again. Oh, boy. Oh, God. <laughs> that was the worst New 52 book. I don't care what anybody else says. Yeah, it's bottom five for sure. But I, I hated Captain Adam with, like, a white-hot passion. That just was, because That was just the first because... time that Captain Adam was, like, that it, that it was through the looking glass and doing a, and doing a Dr. Manhattan impression. Well, and that's what I oh, hated man. about it so much because it felt like such a ripoff by 
a writer that first of all, first of all, no one should attempt that except for I guess Morrison because he pulled it off. But uh, JT Krull is also just not the writer to do that either. Sorry, JT. He is a long-time listener of the show, so he's probably... Yeah, I know, I know, right? So is Adam Glass, and so cover your ears when I talk about the... Suicide Squad. New 52 Suicide Squad. (laughs) Oh, man. That New 52, Captain Adam, plus the Court of Owl stuff, had me convinced that before Watchmen, before it was announced, was going to be essentially what Doomsday Clock is now. Oh, um, weren't there like weren't there some subtle rumors that that was yeah. going to happen? Yeah, when like uh, do, when before Watch One was being like circulated, and we didn't, no one really knew what it was yet. Uh-huh. Just that it was Watchmen related. I was convinced that they were going to bring Watchmen into the DCU, and that was going to be the whole like New Fifty Two thing. But oh, no, it, it ended up being the Rebirth thing. <laughs> wow comics you guys yeah but hawkman good hawkman good <laughs> you like it a hawkman <laughs> hawkman is good <laughs> i get you hawkman you let you want to end the sketch <laughs> the sketch is too long we, we it's are... very boring we're gonna have i'm gonna have to add uh like 90s snl tag to all of our <laughs> seo metadata stuff because we we reference at least one bad SNL sketch every week now. Yeah, yep. For the for the one guy who's going to listen and wait for it and, and not understand a goddamn thing that we say other than that. Yep. yep. He's yeah. just going to he's just going to hoot and holler when I say Sabra Price is right. <laughs> so here's a question for the ages. Did either of you guys open the Immortal Men? <laughs> I opened, I opened it. it. I saw that they were ostensibly forming some team. Yes. I I caught that gist of it. That's all you need to know. One 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 of the characters is from Wisconsin, I as I as I learned from yes. barely reading it. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know Jim Lee was supposed to draw this book. <laughs> he it looks like Jim Lee to me. It's not. This this proves though. I really think DC could lie and say that Jim Lee was like if they really wanted to, they could hire Ryan Benjamin to be the fake Jim Lee. You're and probably do it, not wrong about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they really wanted to do like a uh, man behind the curtain type thing, they could do it. You're not missing much. Don't worry. I'm I'm just waiting for like the big reveal that makes this and I, and I like Tynion a lot. His Detectives comics comics run was like incredible to me. But I'm waiting for the thing in this book that that like legitimizes it as something that needs to exist. <laughs> the and I don't You mean the the Batman who laughs being in it doesn't do that for you. <laughs> well, I don't even mean like I don't even mean like uh, with greater ties to the DCU or what's going on or anything, but like I still don't even really know what the mission statement of this book is. You know, at one point, the Immortal Man, who's um, not Casper Crump, 
I guess. No, he's not. Um, Although, can, can we so, all agree that we wish it was? Yeah, I do wish it was. Uh, it would be a better comic. But at one point, he says something like, I'm assembling this team because I saw the need for a team to keep doing good throughout the years or something like something really generic like that. And I thought, like, well, isn't that just what, like, the Justice League or any other superhero team d- does? I don't really – am I missing – is there a greater thing? You know, you read it more closely, I think, Brian. Is there – what is the mission statement of the Immortal Men as, like, a team or as a comic? Because I'm not getting it. From what I gather, this is one of those stories that you get like every couple of years where there's just been this secret war that's been happening all across time and we weren't aware of it before because our eyes have been shielded to it and that these are like the players that have been happening that have been that have been taking place that these are the players that have been in the shit for millennia keeping the world safe or something i don't know it's it's so generic I really think that like, I, I can't get past the vibe that the, that the New Age of Heroes is something that all these people agreed to, and then like the day before the script was due, the Dio texted was like, "Can we see the script tomorrow?" And they're like, "Oh shit, we have to write a script about this." Uh, and then it's because every one of them, not every one of them, most of them are just so formulaic and so not very well thought out, and this definitely feels like that. It just uh-huh. feels like a concept that's under undercooked, and. Uh, yeah. You guys didn't miss anything by not reading it. Fair enough. Uh, that brings us to The Man of Steel, number three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ryan Sook, uh, and Jason Fabok, again, doing his his sort of middle-of-the-issue tease thing. Uh-huh. Um, guys, this comic continues to be good. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you, it, got, it got a little doomsday-ish for me this week. But oh, I, I don't know. It's, I, still, it's still pretty good. Yeah. You got you guys talk about it. Zach, you talk about it. Brian, oh, I mean, you, should, you should get to, Brian should get to lead every once in a while, too. No, I'm fine. Go ahead. <laughs> it, it's very good. Um, the bit with Batman was really good. Yes, it was. <laughs> Best... <laughs> Best, best Batman's been written in a while, too. As far as like the right tone, balancing humor, and and again, I felt like Bendis. I felt like Bendis avoided a thing that he's done in the past, where he could have just he could have had Batman like keep saying throughout that conversation, "I'm Batman." Batman. Yeah, but he doesn't. He does it. He uses it once in a perfectly appropriate place and it's funny and then he finds other ways for batman to be insightful and funny you know yeah like Bat- batman's description of why of superman leaving without saying anything was perfect it's perfectly batman it's the way that batman would think about superman and it's it's I, yeah, I feel like it's true to both characters and it's true to the writer. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's Bendis at his best. You know, I I may have my qualms with him as a writer, but like when he's on, 
he thinks about these characters and you can see that the conclusions that he comes to are often really interesting and and takes on the characters that I agree with. And I feel like right now he's firing on all cylinders over at DC. Like he's it's only been a few issues. This is maybe premature, but he's really locked in. He's dialed in and like inspired, I think. Mm-hmm. And and the thing in regard to the the art as well that I want to bring up, I'm I'm reminded of how we talked about when we did our Watchmen read of how Gibbons would have the characters just doing things in the panels, like in the background, just little movements and things. I really like in this scene how Sook just has Batman going about his business. He never turns and looks away from what he's doing. He just says his lines as he's working and it's just a very Batman thing. It is. It's like Rorschach inspecting the, yeah, the, although he Rorschach's by himself when he's doing that, but like, it's the same, it's what you're talking about. It's the same like movement and investigation and yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Sook does some really nice. I love his Superman. I love, I love how big Superman's head is and how, like, this sounds like a very goofy compliment. Like, it does, doesn't sound like a compliment Oof. at all. But I... <laughs> I heard you're a real piece of shit, Mr. Death. Um... Referencing a tweet no listener will have seen. <laughs> the DC3 cast in a nutshell. Yep, yep. This is me in a nutshell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Awesome powers. I get trapped in this nutshell. Um, (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I just realized I have a big theory about this book. It just hit me. Go for it. Let me just finish what I was saying. Yeah, finish what you were saying. Yeah. I just wanted to say, like, the way that Sook draws Superman's face, like, a little bit too small for Superman's head like compared to his other characters so that he's got the big chin and like like big eyebrows and you know he he it makes him look a little more larger than life uh you know what i mean in in kind of that um the way that you think of Captain Marvel too you know Shazam yep uh how how they look a little bit larger than life like an old school strong man or something um he flex totally mentalo. yeah flex mentalo yeah exactly that 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 archetype right there zach lay your theory upon us i maybe used to be way off because i this just hit me while i was slipping through the issue but i'm again reminded of, of brian's theory about the you know the the ties with um you know kind of like biblical and Jewish history, the idea that this is like a Jacob and Esau story. And then we get the scene, the continuation of the Jason Fabok thing where we're slowly finding out what happened to John and Lois in that middle panel on the bottom. As the ship is opening, we see someone inside the ship who seems, he looks like he has red trunks on. Yeah, and it kind of looks like uh, like Luthor, though, too. 
It kind of does. I, I know we're supposed to think that. My theory is that this is somehow Clark's secret brother, and he has the trunks, and the Superman that we're seeing right now is not Clark, but is his brother, and that's why he has the trunks on. And that's why the trunks are important. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa? <laughs> you just blew my mind, my friend. I still think that this is the that this is our Clark, but I think he gets the trunks from from whoever this is. Okay. But that's a, that's a damn solid theory there, Zach. Because that would mean that not not only are Lois and Clark, I mean Lois and John missing, but all three of them are missing. That's why his writing is no good for Perry White. I didn't even think about that. Uh, did, we, did, that we just, did we just crack this book? That's why Perry's like, where where is the Clark that I know or whatever? No, Batman would know it. Maybe he does. This is, uh... I mean, because we said it on the show means that it's not going to happen Not going to happen at all. Yeah. It's and Superboy actually... Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bendis, Bendis has the scripts written, and now that... And as we're recording, they're, like, magically hopping into it. Like, an old-school typewriter and being... Like, a bottle of uh, whiteout has spilled over them, and he has to rewrite them, and he's going to change what what he had written because we guessed it now. Um, but that's fascinating, Zach. That's a really fun theory. Even if it's not true, I love that. Um, there's a couple more notes on this. And we said this last time, but I think it needs to be said again. I can't believe how economical Bendis is being with his dialogue. For, For a guy who has the reputation of, you know, we all know that one page just covered in text that everybody references when talking about Bendis comics. There, there's, there are large swaths of this issue and this book where no one's saying anything. Mm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, th- this is this is really good. It is. Did Did you guys see the stuff today on Bleeding Cool about how this book is underperforming sales wise because of the yeah. no variants and things like that? Yes, I had read that as well. That's pretty sad. I don't know how much of that is... I don't want to say true. I, I, I believe those reports, but I don't know how much... I don't know how much that matters in this yeah. instance. I think it would be different if it wasn't Bendis writing this. But I think that Bendis gets somewhat of a free pass on this stuff. I hope because I, I hope that like Bendis's best work in years is not spoiled by by a perception of poor sales or whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> I just want it to be good again, and it is. And now I don't want like on, on this. I, on the other hand, I totally get like people feeling a Bendis backlash. But I could also know. see this book because of that selling well in the you know in the aftermarket slash in trade sure yep um 
All right, good, good stuff. Uh, let's talk about Mr. Miracle, number nine, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrards. Um, Vince, you said on Twitter this week that, <laughs> that, that that you like this book, but that it's a bit up and down for you. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I, I think this issue is, like... If you like what this book is doing, you're going to love this issue. If you're somewhat frustrated about what this book is doing, this issue is going to kind of frustrate you. There are some really odd storytelling choices here, but the book still looks really, really gorgeous. (laughs) And there's a couple of really clever moments, but there's also some, like, what the fuck moments here. What did you think of this particular issue, Vince? Um... Yes, I did. I did say it has been up and down. Um, oddly enough, this issue kind of teetered in the middle for me. It's it's kind of exactly what you said. There's some really inspired moments. Actually, I'm paging back through it right now, and every scene seems to have a moment that I like, and yet the general cadence of each scene is a little annoying to me. <laughs> Does that does that make sense? Sure. Like um like I like some of the very visual tricky stuff like uh like when Mr. Miracle gets naked near the end, you know? I I like some of the symbolism behind that. Not the obvious symbolism of uh somebody being put on a cross in some sort of Christ-like pose. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. That's right. That's right near the beginning. Um, but, uh, or, or like the, or like the images of dark side at the end, kind of peering through the darkness mm-hmm. of what's going on. Um, I really like that. But then th- there's so many like little annoying dialogue, just the typical Tom King dialogue stuff. That annoys me. So, and some of it's a little sweet, and some of it's really annoying. Like, um, I thought the Steppenwolf speech. Yes. Yep. That I. Yes. The but I liked when they were talking about like the bone wine that from when Granny was, you know, that's there was a ridiculously titled CBR column that was something like. uh, Tom King is revolutionizing the DC universe by bringing humanity to it. And I think that's grossly overstating what's going on. But in in a yes, but in a particular scene like that, I know what they're talking about. I, the problem is is that I don't think there is enough of that that really feels honest. But like that scene really worked for me. But yeah, the Steppenwolf stuff was... I don't understand the point of the Da Vinci story to only be like, nah, psych. (laughs) I I understand what he says at the end, that like, you know, you're pissing next to the Son of God, you gotta say something. I I understand that general idea, but I just don't think the scene was handled all that well. No, and I think there are a lot of stories that end with that sort of punchline... Not punchline, it's not really a joke, but like, you know, let's see what's behind your curtain. And the master says, what curtain? Well, 
there's a lot of stories that end that way to prove a point, you know? Yeah. And and this one just landed so flat with me for the reasons you just said. So, yeah. Um, also, to- also, I am Pagliacci. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. You go. Also, it's uh, it's that's not spit, that's nut that he is. Okay. Yes, yes. Of course. Of course. Uh, I I have two comments. And I want to turn it over to Zach. My first comment is, you know, sometimes you're reading an issue quickly and it takes you a little while to realize a little visual thing. I did not realize until the second time it appeared that the table is held up by slaves, like under the table, or just people like you know kneeling and letting the table fall on their backs. I, I actually really like that. I think that's a very apocalypse thing to have happen. Um, nice job, Garrods, on that. I also want to say that I did not see the twist at the end coming, but I think it's a pretty great twist. But Darkseid giving up the anti-life equation to raise his grandson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that I think that works very well, both in the context of the story and sort of in the overall New Gods fourth world stuff i think that makes a lot of sense too i like it right right because it's essentially kind of a mirroring of what brokered the last piece between exactly new genesis and apocalypse yeah yeah um no yeah that is really good and i you know i'm glad that you brought up the table thing too because that brought up initially like one of the scenes that i had the most problems with but then the way it was resolved i thought was really really great um, the scene where Calabac pulls out a slave from underneath the table, throws him up against the wall to, and kills him to, to make a point, essentially. Yeah. And then how Scott just kind of is like, you know, I'm I'm the son of Darkseid. I'm raised by Granny. Like, I don't, yeah, don't waste time on the dead, essentially. And that seems really cold. But then the next scene where he's just dealing with it um, with Barda was really good. Yeah. Um, again, it seems like, you know, Scott could really benefit from a sanctuary. Well, I did want to say that, that he and Barda are featured prominently on the cover of that first issue. I don't know if I even noticed that or made that connection. Again, I wish you guys would read multiversitycomics.com so you could read all this uh, wonderful stuff that I uh, that I write for there. Wait, how's that um, spelled? Scott Free is Deadpool also. Oh, okay, there we go. Uh, He's Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, actually, on the Sanctuary cover, there's a bunch of... There's like every every Tom King character that's not Kyle Rayner is on that cover, essentially. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but anyway. Um, it was weird that the Vision was on there, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy from... Uh, um. I was a teenage CIA officer or whatever it was called. Sheriff of Babylon? There it is, yeah. <laughs> oh, Vince, Vince, Vince. Um, anything else to add, boys? No. No, I mean... I, I, think, I think this is a decent book. It's just <clears throat> some issues work better than others and... Yeah, this this is just this is the title where Tom King's bullshit tracks. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> it, 
the the tone matches the characters and the grandiose story. In Batman, it doesn't it doesn't track. Yes. Um, everybody, uh, grab your cup. We're about to pour one out for New Superman. And this oh. is the, of the final issue. I I didn't know that this was the final issue until the giant um, trade dress. <laughs> well, until Yang tweeted it out. He like tweeted it out the day before. Um, that it was going to be the last issue because I thought twenty five was going to be the last issue. I didn't realize that there wasn't a twenty five. Yeah. Um, perfect man. <laughs> perfect comic Super. man. Yeah. <laughs> this was excellent. Yeah. I I think this was the issue of the week, and I'm not just saying that because it's the last one. I Better think. Than attorney to girl. Oh, okay. Best DC Universe okay. title of the week. I feel like Man of Steel still gives it a run for its money, but I'll I'll give it to you. All right, best Hawkman's pretty dope too. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good comics this week, this you guys. This was an excellent week, guys. <laughs> this was a good week, yeah. But this comic gave me all the feels right up to that. Uh, classic homage of Jim Lee's Justice League number one cover <laughs> on the last page. Um, will, will that become the new JLI number one? It the, is. The Kevin it, Maguire. It, it already is. It definitely is. It's already been homage like at least five times. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved this I loved what it said about the characters. I love that he went back to try to get uh, I Ching back, and how that all played out, and how they they had to fight like future possible versions of themselves, and just it was a a finale filled with so much possibility that left so much hope in my heart for um, comics like this that don't star major characters and are full of diversity and are written by uh, diverse writers and have a diverse art team. Um, I believe almost every artist... a A lot of the cover artists and variants were purposefully done by artists of Asian descent. I believe you're correct on the variants, yes. Yeah, and... I think all of the variants were done by... um, Is that... um, They were all done by the same artist, right? Really? All throughout the 24 issues? Um, isn't that, yeah, Brian Chang. Oh, okay. I thought there were some, I thought there were different ones throughout, but maybe, maybe there were, I just, I know that he did a lot of them. Anyway, I love this comic and I love what it represents. And, and I love that at the end, there's still hope for, you know, maybe we'll never see some of these characters again. I'm hoping they pop up from time to time in some sort of, Batman Inc. fashion. I mean, you they know. already have in Doomsday Clock. I'm, I'm an idiot. I meant Bernard Chang, not Brian Chang. Bernard Chang, okay. Um, 
Yeah, they yeah, I guess they have in, in, in the back matter of Doomsday Clock. Yes, hopefully that hopefully DC keeps to keeps giving them a space in their comics. Um Moses well, is just fantastic. And I'm getting choked up just talking about it. So somebody else talk. Yeah, I, I don't have too much more to add. You know, th- this wasn't a, a game-changing issue in terms of a big plot development or, you know, really closing a book on a storyline. It was just yet another really good issue of this book that will cause me to wear a t-shirt that says Vince was right. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, just kudos to everyone involved. I, I think it's pretty impressive how Yang was able to build this entire world around brand new characters and and it worked i can't remember the last time a, a team book of entirely new characters lasted this long yeah good point anyone else no, no i feel like you guys pretty much said it all i really did like it though i remember when this book started I was ready to give up on it, and Vince made me go back and read it, and yes, he was right. <laughs> um, well, that brings us to Plastic Man, number one, written by Gail Simone, illustrated by Adriana Mello. Um, this is, you know, this is the type of book that DC's been doing more of lately, where it's not really an origin story, but it's not not an origin story. It's a miniseries that acts as an introduction to the character for new readers, and uh, I know Gail Simone has wanted to write a Plastic Man book for many, many years, and uh, she gets to do so here. Uh, Zach, what did you think of this issue? I liked this a lot more than I expected. Um, I like Gail Simone, but I honestly haven't been impressed by a lot of the DC work she's done. Really, I guess, like, post-New 52. Um but I thought she nailed this, and and I thought the art was great. Um, yeah, I I really liked this a lot. Yeah, I mean this is um this is pretty wang. I'm glad I'm glad that joke landed with such authority for Vince. <laughs> oh yeah, this was fantastic. Um, yeah, boy, really funny. Same sort of visual inventiveness that we loved from that first issue of uh, the Terrifics. Um, <laughs> Plastic Man as as Wonder Woman's a pretty great design i just love plastic man designs i love how they incorporate his like his costume scheme yeah his color yeah. scheme his costume his like diamond symbols uh, i liked seeing his 12 pack that was good <laughs> we didn't get to see his wang but i'm sure that would be impressive too it would be quite wang um <laughs> uh I, I really felt like I don't think a lot of people will pick up on this, but 
at least this issue anyway, was very throwback to like the early Jack Cole um, Plastic Man. But you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think that because it feels like a modern comic. Like it's not doing an homage, but it's regurgitating some elements from that, you know, um, kind of like the uh, the like old school mobster crime element, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just the setting is very much the early plastic man. And I, w- I wonder if that's going to involve uh, evolve over the course of the six issues, but I liked how it started off very simply that way. Um, yeah, lots of fun, kind of, kind of risque at times. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I agree that this is a lot of fun. You know, again, not groundbreaking, not anything that's super crazy, but just a really well-told story. And um, I, I actually interviewed Simone via email about this book, and she brought up a really interesting point. I asked her why she thought that this was the time for Plastic Man, you know, because between the Terrifics and this, this is the most attention he's had since, I mean, when was the last time he appeared in two books? Ever? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this is really rare. And she said that, you know, she, she's uh, sitting along the lines of, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but a lot of times, you know, art reflects the culture we're living in, and it's a dour time to be alive. It's good to have a character that's just so unabashedly goofy. Again, Gorsh, I hear you're a piece of shit, Mr. Tough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's very valid. Yeah. And full of Wang. Yeah. So full of Wang. That brings us to Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 23, written by Scott <laughs> Lovedell, illustrated by Trevor Harrison. Um... So we we've liked this book a lot lately. Uh, this to me felt like the most filler of filler issues. Yeah. Yes, in that it really doesn't move the story along. I mean it it's building on plot points from this arc, but. Where's my Bizarro? Where's Pun Pun? Or not Pun Pun. Uh, what's his Pit name? Pat. Pit Pat. Pit Pup. Pup Pup. It's Pup Pup. calling it Pup Pup it shows you're not. A... <laughs> <laughs> we have to get our jokes in, guys. It's Pit, yep. actually obligated. Pit Pit Pat is... Do you know what Pit Pat is? That's Mr. Show, right? Yeah, Brian, yeah, I knew, Brian, you'd get it. Pit Pat's the global chem or global corp, whatever mascot that's like a generic it actually kind of looks like pup pup except not not superman style right. <laughs> his slogan is take it from me i love you <laughs> 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 but the, anyway but this, this whole issue is jason todd finding out more about his father which is just that his father's a piece of shit but a slightly different type of piece of shit than he anticipated yeah guest writer rick remender on this one right yeah no, I. I mean, for what it was, I think it was fine. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that we needed this. Nor, a, do I, nor do I think that it 
does much for the overall story of the book or even the Jason Todd character. I, I'm a, and I'm a little worried that it's going to be the focus for a few issues and it's going to kind of kill the momentum that this book had. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this feels like a thing. Okay, for a little while we're going to deal with Jason Todd's dad and n- nobody was really interested in that, I don't think. Of all the characters you'd want to see introduced and elaborated on, I don't think Jason Todd's dad would make the top 1000. <laughs> so it's a big daddy issue week though. Yeah. I need a daddy tissue. Oh, that's Austin Powers too. Well, that's Gold Member. Nobody remembers it. That's actually Austin Powers three. I said Gold Member. Yeah, you you said that's Austin Powers two, meaning also. It was, a, it was just I was fucking. Yeah, up. I meant also. Yeah, I know. I'm just teasing. Well, I was also place my humor is uh, appreciated, which is uh, sideways number five. Written. There's nothing funny about being a pedant, Brian. That's true. Uh, there's a book I missed this week. That one flew under the radar. Wait, sideways? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even notice that one. You. That's the exact same thing that I did when number four came around. Remember? <laughs> yes. I guess it's just a forgettable book. This is uh, written by Jason jo- Justin Jordan, not Jason Jordan. That's not a person I own, that I'm aware of. Uh, and it's the Red Hill. Power Ranger. Brian. There we go. There Some we go. Jason Jordan out there is just really upset that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> no, I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> uh, so Zach didn't read this issue. I didn't read this issue. Uh, you miss a little Batman who laughs cameo. <laughs> what, what right. we all need. Seriously? Yep. Oh my goodness! What the world needs now is it's a Batman, Batman. Yeah. who laughs. Exactly. Um, this is also, and I, I am, I don't like being this guy. I feel like Robert Gill doesn't know what this main character looks like. Because in every <laughs> panel, he looks very different than the panel before. Um. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's just, it's fine. Oh. He goes to the home of the Fugganauts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fugganauts! Gabagool. <laughs> I think a little pee came out. Also, an, an unofficial tie-in to the Greatest Showman. <laughs> we killed Vince. Yeah, we killed Vince. Uh, so there is a new character called the Showman, which apparently just means he wears high tops and a trench coat with no shirt. He's like Zach. The best way I can describe him is he's like a vampire, but for pissing people off like he's he's his, his power is that he's a troll and that when he trolls on people he gets the energy from those that are pissed uh, off 
So he's Donald Trump. He gets the dragon energy. Yes, pretty much. Um, but this is a this is a true like done in one. Everything is uh, everything's wrapped up by the issue's end. It's fine. It's something special. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, Zach said Fugonauts, and <laughs> yeah. I just lost my shit. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this book, this book to me is exactly what you said, Brian. It's like the one guilty pleasure book I will allow myself that, like, I don't think it's that great, but it's good natured and it's fun enough, like, in any other... If it were any other comic, I would have dumped it after three issues. But, like, for whatever reason, I keep a couple of these around, you know? And this happens to be it. Um, If this was released, like, not as part of the New Age of Heroes, I think we'd also have a bit more hope for it. Yeah. Yeah. Although he was at Superman Day. He He was. He's immortalized now. Um, a couple, couple acknowledgements from the cover because that's about all I can contribute other than Fugonauts. Um, the Showman font looks a lot like the '90s Stormwatch font that got reused for the Jim Starlin Two oh, Stormwatch. You're right. And also, did you guys take the time to read those great protest signs that they yeah. put out? Yep, yep. They were very subtle. <laughs> I like the one in the back, right, appears to say, Sideways can't even save his family. (laughs) (laughs) That's just mean. That's just, like, straight up nothing clever about it. That's just mean. That's, oh, what is, that, that, that's kind of like, um. It's like, um. Tobias, when, right? When he's talking about, oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's like the Pusha T, Drake this song the yes the secret family uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no it's i was really personal it does yeah uh sideways is gonna have to come out with a legal statement and a video where he hangs out with the degrassi cast um did you see that zach no his new video is like him hanging out with the cast of degrassi like his former castmates you've got to see it okay um See in a wheelchair. I I don't know. I feel like that would be problematic. It would be, but um Yeah. Um no, it reminded me of uh when Tobias said, Oh, I forgot, you don't even have a wife anymore or something <laughs> like that. And and uh and yes. Michael just looks at him and he goes, I am so sorry <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Please excuse me or whatever. <laughs> Brian, we were talking about the signs on the cover that uh, Sideways can't even save his family is one of them. One of them says. <laughs> yeah. Sideways is a menace. Sideways fake hero, fake yeah. news. And Zach, you're right. That showman font is is like that Stormwatch font almost to it, almost exactly. So. It's a weird pull. It is. All right, am I the only guy who read Suicide Squad? Oh, yeah. 
Alright, same shit, different week. I wait, I read the last page of Suicide Squad. For because I always turn to the last page just to see if there's like some big reveal or something. And correct me if I'm wrong. Just dead but... shot hanging brain. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, check out my nutsack. <laughs> um No, uh Correct me if I'm wrong, but does Deadshot's narration there, he says something like, I think he wants to kill me. Is he talking about Batman? He is. Does he not know Batman's whole thing? There's a whole thing in this issue where he says basically, you and me are the same bats, only you don't have the balls to kill people. Like, it's, it's a lot of that bullshit. Okay, yeah. It's not good. I feel like Rob Williams' Suicide Squad run... First of all, I think the whole thing is satire. Like, I think he knows he's doing this. But it seems like in every issue, there's some character who's, like, saying something that goes against the entire, like, worldview of a different character or a different comic or the conventions of comics. But none of it's any good. Like, I do like when comics buck convention, but... It's not done in a good way. It's done in, like, a very earnest... Like, if Deadshot is earnestly saying, like, I think Batman's going to kill me. I'm like, well, Batman's never going to kill anyone. I'm sorry. Uh, Except in 1930s and 40s detective comics, as I found out, where he kills somebody in basically every issue. (laughs) Or Um, if he's Ben Affleck. Or if he's Ben Affleck. Or if he's Christian Bale and he he doesn't kill you, but he doesn't have to save you either. That's true. Maybe Batman kills a lot. Come to think of it. Um, um, anyway, nothing to talk about with this issue, really. Yeah, no, no, no. What there's a lot to talk about is Titan Special, number one, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by, all right, deep breath here, Sergio Davila, Brett Peoples, Brian Ching, Nicola Scott, Max Rayner, and Ben Oliver. Guys, that's, you, a, that's a lot of good. It is a lot of good, and you guys know how I feel about the Titans. Oh, yeah. This is, I have, this is so much fun. I have to imagine that you were at full attention during this one. Yep. Yep. What did you guys think? I I loved it. Yeah, this is this is great. Zach, what did you think? I, I, I liked it. I'm very no no. Hear me out. Hear me out. He's I'm really burns. excited for what it set up, and the art is very good. But it is one of those getting the team together issues that I don't particularly usually care for that much. I'll agree. Although with you this on is that. definitely one of the much better getting the team together issues that I've read in a long time. Yeah, I think that this is a team that doesn't make sense to drop you in, like in the middle of it. Because no. it is so different than what came before it. But I think the construction of the team is really interesting. And we knew all the people involved, but having Miss Martian as like the JL representative mm. is a really, I love sm- that. really smart move. I think the way they brought in Natasha instead of John Henry as Steel was really, really well done. I think that making Gar not just the... Uh, like giving him more than just being sort of the... The shitty playboy he's been as of late is really smart. Um, I I really enjoyed this issue. 
Yeah, most most of the art was really good. Yep, the um, art was really really good. The the only thing that rang false to me throughout this whole thing was for Brian. You said this is a really new construction of the team. It is, but a couple pieces of it are old, and they made they tried to make it seem like oh the team has been shattered, but like like with the Donna Troy stuff, you know, like. Really, what has it been? Two months? <laughs> I mean, I want to say in Titans it's been longer than that. Maybe, maybe. I'm I'm just saying but it still, doesn't no, feel. I mean, it's that that's a that's a fair point. It it what it's what, the tone that it's going for at times is that of this is the Titans picking up as Rebirth is starting. Like that's the tone it's aiming for. When really it's doing it, you know, two years into Rebirth. Right. I don't think that that's I don't think that that's a bad thing for the comic going forward. It was just that like reading this I felt like well, Donna, you just saw right. <laughs> like, she's acting like they've been gone forever and she's like in this walking through life in a drunken stupor because she's without her friends, but like in in our time, in real time, in reality, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. <laughs> right. Um I'll also say I really like the bit sort of what leads Dick to put together this team. Mm. That bit on the subway, I really enjoyed that. I also think that character will play into it more later. I don't think she's really dead. Yeah. But a well-done MacGuffin. For a second, I thought that that was going to be like a surprise add to the team. Me too. Somehow. Yeah. There is a character. It, there are a bunch of ads for Titans. Uh, I think it's 21, maybe, or 23. The first issue with this team. And there is still a... a character we're not aware of yet but it's a it's a it's a guy and he's, mm. he's like on his knees and sort of a purple aura around him um it's bunker i hope it's bunker actually i think that'd be really interesting i wish bunker was still around in some form yeah although i'm surprised i'm actually surprised they didn't somehow use the uh new age of heroes to bring bunker around again because he feels kind of like a new age of heroes yeah character yeah, well, he, in a week he, He's a Scott Lobdell creation. So Yeah. Yeah. How did Scott Lobdell not end up on a New Age of Heroes book? That's by the way? a fascinating question. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about this? No, this was really good. I'm really thrilled about uh Titan's direction going forward. Yeah, Dan Abnett MVP. Yeah. Um is anyone else kind of surprised that this is just picking up from titans numbering and everything and not getting a well teen titans is doing the same thing i know yeah and then yeah. you also have That's like Su- supergirl is starting up again mm-hmm. from that That's numbering. true too yeah so i wonder what yeah. the rationale is there yeah it's really weird what they're deciding deserves a new number one and then you know right I we I feel like we have this discussion every like six months or something, but I feel I wish I wish Marvel and DC would come up with a standard like okay these are the con- exact conditions that we're going to relaunch to a number one <laughs> right. under and these are are not <laughs> not that it not that it really matters it's just like it's a thing you think about you know I really think that the designation is is it a superstar writer coming on. Yeah. Because Bendis, you know, they're ending Hal Jordan because supposedly Grant Morrison's coming on. You know, like, 
if it's going to be a new volume in the trades where it has to be something like totally, totally new, mm-hmm. they'll renumber it at this point. But if not, they should keep it going because this does this does feel like if you were if you were somebody who's trade rating titan trade waiting titans as long as you know to read no justice in the middle this does follow a similar path you know yeah but there you go like you just threw a major wrench like to to you and i that doesn't sound major but right to like a a non-seasoned reader that's true they're gonna be like oh what the hell is this no justice shit you know All right, we got two more books to power through, boys. It's been a long show. Uh, We got The Wildstorm, Michael Cray, number eight, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by N. Stephen Harris. Um, I really really enjoyed this issue. I'm liking this arc. I don't have too much more to say about it. we, we, We talked about this book sort of being a very similar thing, arc to arc, with these these slightly different versions of DC characters. But I feel like this is the first time that I don't know how it's going to end. Like, all the other ones felt like, well, this is obviously going to end with Michael Craig killing this version <laughs> of Aquaman or whatever. But this this does something a little bit different there. And so I appreciated that. Boys? Yeah, I really like this a lot. I know I was down on this book. Um... But I really like where it's going. Yeah, I like how... I like how... So this is going to be a 12-issue series, right? Yes. Is that right? 12? I think a lot of times a 12-issue series can kind of be like an excuse for a writer to write one maybe two decompressed story arcs in a in a defined series but i feel like what's happening with michael cray is that um brian hill is being incredibly smart about structuring this in a way where like every two to three issues it's a different arc or something and and rather, I mean, it does feel like one story that's been going on, but he's using every new conflict that that Michael Cray gets in to um, change things up a little, or not even a little, like in significant ways that make a very samey feeling book surprise you, you know? When I got to the end of this issue, I was genuinely surprised at how the script kind of flipped with him and Diana and Constantine, right? Mm-hmm. Constantine. Um, and I feel like that's something that writers, when they, when they know they have a, a certain number of issues to work with, they don't take advantage of knowing exactly how much time they have and, and how many of these twists to throw in and when to throw them in. I feel like this is structured in a really fascinating way. Um, that's subtle. If you're not pay- if you're not paying attention to the structure of it, you're just going along and you're enjoying a really good story. But when you think about the structure, it becomes even more impressive. I think. Um, I think this is a great book. I, I will say, I'm still shocked at the version of the Wildstorm we're getting. <laughs> it just feels very different than what I anticipated. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like Definitely. it. It's just very, very different. Yeah. And last and maybe least, it's Wonder Woman number 48, written by James Robinson, illustrated by Jesus Marino. So Zach did not read this book. He kind of skimmed it. No, I actually, I ended up, I've, I've read it oh, okay. now. Um, but he took umbrage with my claim that I thought this was a better than average ver- issue of James Robinson's Wonder Woman. Vince, what's say I... you? <laughs> well, Zach, what were you going to say? Oh, uh, no, no, you go ahead. Oh, I don't think you're wrong, Brian, but I don't think that means all that much. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is just there. It's just blah. Um, I do like this incarnation of the Justice League showing up, and and it's timed to be. It's timed to work with what Snyder is doing with the Justice League right now. Um, I got a kick out of the one panel where S- Supergirl's standing there, and I don't know if this was intentional humor or not, but she says. And it looks like I'm taking the place of my cousin Superman, which felt like a meta. It felt like a meta commentary about c- comics and when they take superheroes off the shelf. You know, uh-huh. it, it it felt like uh, you know I don't really know why, but I I guess I'm here instead of Superman. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, See, this reminded me, in a little way, of that beloved by Zach and Brian, James Robinson, Justice League. <laughs> Uh, arc where like, ooh, good call where you have the sort of stand-ins for the big seven you, know, you had jesse quick and starman and congorilla and uh you know as like the robinson said that his blue and gold were congorilla and starman and stuff which like was that, great which was yeah. great yeah so having jason and kara stand in for their cousins here or their their, their sister and their cousin seemed like a, a little bit of a nod to that so i was i was cool with that <laughs> Um, I really liked the Justice League stuff for sure. Um, but man, all the Jason stuff was just as bad as ever. Um, the fact that he named his spear Polly. Um, the fact that they talk about gods for the majority of the issue. And then, um, 13 pages in, Jason says, gods? Funny. (laughs) I never dreamed I'd hear the term used as much as I have. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that seems um, like as, good, as good a place as any to wrap up for this week. Um, thank you all so much for listening to this two-plus-hour episode of the DC3Cast. <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate you listening. Go to multiversitycomics.com, unlike my co-hosts to read all the comics, news, reviews, and information fit to print. And you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at LCD underscore Lound System. And I'm at Wilker Fox. Come for those hot Kingdom Hearts takes. <laughs> the faucet is on, and it's not, it's not stopping. They're spicy. Zach has been norted. I got norted. It happened. What does that mean? That's why he's been so mean lately. It is. I mean, it's short for no hearted, Brian. Oh. No, no, actually it's not. <laughs> what is it? What is it short for? Well, <laughs> uh, 
so there's this character named Xehanort, and he's like the main villain of the whole series, and his goal is to make 13 copies of himself for some reason um, that has to do with darkness, and when he takes over someone, the colloquial term is that that person has been norted. Nice. Cool story. It is cool. You should check it out. Maybe I, I prefer... I prefer to think of it as Zach being no hearted because he's been well, so mean, he's been so mean lately. You know that's you're not very far off actually when you say that because they are the heartless. Well, Xehanort, his name is an anagram for no heart with an X in it. So, well, there you go. <laughs> of course, Mister Depp, you're a real piece of shit. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I never said that. You're putting words in my mouth.